Welcome to the teaching ministry of Dr. Fred Lowry, illuminating God's Word for today's world. The choice, the Word of God, or the world. The choice, Christ, or culture for us. We can choose Christ. had too many reminders in our church of how brief, how short life is. And so I think it's important that we understand about what it means to live one month, one day, one hour at a time. To live as though we had only one month to live. What would you do? Last week we talked about tombstones having two dates, the date of birth and the date of death. And as you look at those tombstones, you're reminded that the birth date, the death date, those things you can't control. That life is really reduced to the dash in between. It's how you live the dash. And so we have two choices. Choice number one, we can dash to live. Choice number two, we can live the dash. Sad news is most people in America, perhaps most people in this church, are dashing to live rather than living the dash. Always in a hurry, always busy, Going here, going there, doing this, doing that, chasing this and chasing that. We have a supersized wanter. We want this and that doesn't satisfy. We want that and that doesn't satisfy. We want the other and the other doesn't satisfy. We try to catch the Jones family and the time we catch them, they refinance and we got to start all over. <laughs> Two guys on the freeway, one says... Uh, Hey, aren't we going in the wrong direction? The other, other guy said, yeah, but we're making such a good time. I hate to turn around. Is that where we are, chasing pleasure, chasing materialism, chasing stuff, things? Are we dashing to live or are we living the dash? We talked last week about the game of Monopoly and how even though you get boardwalk and park place and the utilities, the railroad. You run the board and you've got just stacks of money. In fact, you've got so much money the bank is having to borrow from you. Have you ever been? I've been there once or twice in my life with, with Monopoly. You've got so much money the bank was having to borrow money from you. So even though you run the board and you have so much money the bank is trying to borrow money from you, when it's over, it all goes back in the box. And, and that's, what the, that's what we've been talking about. That's what the song was about with Point of Grace, our friend's Point of Grace. It's not what you do, it's not what you say, it's how you live. And how you live daily, how you live moment by moment. So the challenge is stop dashing to live and for at least 30 days, let's, let's live the dash. Let's live life as God designed us to live it. Let's do what we need to do now. Let's say what we need to say now. Let's give what we need to give now. Let's be who we need to be now. 
The psalmist put it this way, teach us to number our days aright that we may gain a heart of wisdom. You know, I believe if, if you would actually determine that you're going to live this month as if it's the last month you had to live, or these next 30 days, true for you, true for me, it would radically change our lives. Because you see, right now, we're just thinking about it and toying with it because maybe a few of us or maybe none of us are really totally committed that we will live each day as if this is the last day we live. Because to do that means radical transformation. But the other thing you you need to know is that if we would dare to do that, if we would take that risk, if we would make that commitment, the result would be a greater fulfillment, a greater happiness, a greater freedom than we've ever known. Because that's how God designed us to live. To live on tiptoe, to live daily as if this were our last day. In Luke chapter 10, verse 25, before I do that, let me, I don't read to you much. Let me read this to you before we leave the dash. This is Linda Ellis's poem, so powerful. I read of a man who stood to speak at the funeral of a friend. He referred to the dates on her tombstone from beginning to the end. He noted that first came the date of her birth and spoke of the following date, her death date, with tears. But he said what mattered most of all was the dash between those years. For that dash represents all the time that she spent alive on earth. And now only those who loved her know what that little line is worth. For it matters not how much we own, the cars, the house, the cash. What matters is how we live in love and how we spend our dash. So think about this longing hard. Are there things you'd like to change? For you never know how much time is left that still life can be rearranged. If we could just slow down enough to consider what's true and real and always try to understand the way other people feel and be less quick to anger and show appreciation more and love the people in our lives like we've never loved before. If we treat each other with respect and more often wear a smile, remembering that this special dash might only last a little while. So when your eulogy is being read, with your life's actions to rehash, would you be proud of the things they say about how you spent your dash? That's how God wants us to live. That's all we have is the dash. And none of us know how long that dash will be. How many days? Our days are numbered. And Luke 10, on one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law? He replied, how do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this, and you will live. Love God with your heart, mind, and soul, and love your neighbors yourself. Do life God's way. Let God be God in your life. Let God be your your absolute priority. And when that happens, you just begin to live.
because most people aren't living, they're just existing. But we can live. Do this and you will live. So why do we wait until we're diagnosed with cancer? Why do we wait until we lose a loved one in death? Why do we wait until some tragedy happens? If only we could learn to live each day as if it were our last. Each day, love God more than anything else. Each day, put God first. Each day, live life on the basis of faith, family, and friends. Do what Jesus said, and you will really live. And who better to look at than Jesus when you're, when you're talking about how we're to live? And what better example than Jesus Christ when we're talking about what if we just had 30 days to live, a month to live? Jesus is a great example because Jesus knew about his own life. He knew that he was on a death notice. From the time he was born, Jesus was born to die. He knew that he was a dying man every day that he lived. And 30 days before the cross, Jesus knew he had 30 more days before he died. So that makes him the greatest example we could ever find of one who lives the dash. He just had 33 years. But he filled those years full. And he lived the life that he has asked us to live and also empowered us to live. And if we will live the dash the way Jesus tells us to do it, if we'll, if we'll give one month to living the dash God's way, we'll have greater clarity of purpose. We'll know who we are and why we're here and what we're to be about. We'll have a renewed passion for things that really matter. And we'll withdraw from those things that, that don't really matter. We'll have, we'll come to a point where simple things, daily pleasures mean so very much to us. We'll be forever changed. I do, I do not think it would be possible for you to live daily for a month like it's the last month you'll ever live without it changing your life. And you see, that's what we're hoping for. That's why we're doing this whole month and these weeks of, in the connection classes and in the pulpit and in the music. We're, we're trying to, to get with God in, a, in such a way that it is life-changing. That we live for, for a month like God wants us to live just for a month. But that becomes so powerful, so irresistible, so life-changing that that's the way we want to live from this point on. And then it means a life of no regrets. If you live every day as if it's your last day, if you say the things that you need to say, if you do the things that you need to do, then you're living a life of no regrets. As we look at the life of Jesus, he gives us four universal principles, and we'll talk about each one. Thankfully, not all four today because you couldn't handle that. We'll just talk about one. But we'll talk about each one of these, and Jesus lived passionately. Jesus loved completely. Jesus learned 
humbly, and Jesus left boldly. And these are universal principles that not only Jesus gave us an example of, but the Bible shows us how we can live the same way that Jesus lived out his last 30 days. So today we're talking about living passionately. Do you understand that nothing great ever really happens without passion? That the driving force behind all great music, great architecture, literature, writings, discoveries, behind all of that is passion. Somebody who was willing to to give himself whatever it took, I'll do whatever it takes to make this happen. Passion is what drives athletes to, to break records. And, and you know, it's, it's not much difference between the one who breaks the record and, and the ones who, who don't. Everybody still sitting up? You know, it's like, a, it's like water. At, two, at 211 degrees, you've got what? You've got hot water. At 212 degrees, it boils. And steam can move a locomotive. All kinds of incredible things happen with just one degree of movement. Isn't that amazing? And amazing things could happen in your life if you just didn't settle for the life of least resistance or for the, the norm, the average. But that you were willing to push and take risks and go for it. Live life to its fullest. Live the way God wants you to live. Just one degree could make a difference. The difference in just living your life as you're choosing to live it and living your life as God has chosen for you to live it, that one degree, then the power comes. The power comes when all kind of good things can happen. They tell me about golf. If you take the, the four major golf tournaments for the last 20 years, less than three strokes have separated the winner. Less than three strokes, that's, that's less than one stroke a day. Only one stroke a day between the winner and the one who comes in second. But I'll tell you something else. The winner gets 76% more money than number two. With just one stroke a day. See, sometimes I think we, we, we sit and we don't make changes because we think, well, we just can't make a radical change. You can change one degree. You can move in the right direction. You can take a step in that direction. You can begin to make a difference, and then that step is added to another step until good things happen. When you believe in something with all of your heart, that, that belief brings enthusiasm and from that enthusiasm comes passion and from that passion comes things in your life that could never come any other way. It's 
passion behind those great discoveries and the research that goes on and finds a cure for this disease and that disease. Somebody's passion was driving that. Some company excels. What, what drives that company passion? But God is a passionate God. And if we have God in our lives and if God made us, then our DNA is that we're to be passionate, that we're to live life full. We're to live a full and free life. We are to make the best of everything God's given us and to do it in a, in a passionate way. You say, well, pastor, I, I'm not one of those, you know, super passionate people who's, you know, who's outgoing and, and I'm not a cheerleader kind of person. In fact, I'm, I'm, I'm more introverted. I'm not very passionate. I want you to understand that passion doesn't have anything to do with introverts or extroverts. It is deeper than that. It is deep within your being. God has put a passion deep within you that the passion deep within you is capable of supernatural things happening in your life regardless of your personality type. Regardless of your past. God wants to do supernatural things in and through you as you feel deeply in your heart. And as you want to go deep with God and turn your life over to God. Here's what Romans 12, 11 says. Never be lacking in zeal. How many of you are Baptists? Let me see your hands. Did y'all just miss this verse? Is it in your Bible? Let me read in the Greek, the original language, so you'll know. In the Greek, never be lacking in zeal. But keep your spiritual fervor. Be enthusiastic. The word enthusiasm, entheos, God in us, that's where we get the word. The most enthusiastic people on the earth ought to be God's people. And what is amazing, a bunch of hypocrites, you'll go to a ball game and holler your lungs out and come to church and sit like a stump. I don't get that. You'll holler more with your team losing than you'll ever holler at church. Well, don't get me out there too far on that. I may say something I'll regret later. But we're to have spiritual fervor serving the Lord. You might just want to circle that on your study guide, that word keep. Keep your spiritual fervor. Protect your spiritual fervor. I think that word keep is in there because you need to understand you can lose your passion. And there are people in this room, you've lost your passion. You can lose your passion for God. You can lose your passion for God's church. You can lose your passion for your ministry. You can lose your passion for your job. You've worked with people on the job that they just do what they have to do. They're just going through the motions. They're existing to get a paycheck. They have lost passion. And if you've got a bunch of people in your company that they've lost their passion, it's going to be hard for that company to grow and do what that company needs to do. So you can lose your passion. So, so this means that we're to keep on working, that we're to keep our passion. 
about those things we need to be passionate about. Let me mention some things that will steal your passion. Problems, pressures, pitfalls, people. It's amazing. I mean, you can meet an irregular person that can just, you know, steal your passion. But that's because you're focusing on that person. If you focus on problems, if you focus on pitfalls, if you focus on people, you'll lose your passion, you'll lose your joy. But if you can keep focusing on God, you can keep your passion and you can keep your joy. And that's how we're to live. If you just got 30 days left, you've got a month to live, you certainly don't want to spend it down and unhappy. You want, to be, you, you want to be happy and excited. You want to be passionate. How many of us are just, uh, we're just worn down. We, we feel like we don't have a lot of passion because we're, we're just tarred. You know, like I've been ironing all day with a cold iron. I'm just tarred. I mean, uh, let me just ask you, how many of you just don't have enough time to get all the things done you think you need to get done? Let me see your hand. Raise your hand high. Be honest. How many of you were just too, too tired to raise your hand? Let me see your hand. <laughs> see, we got a problem. We live our lives without margins. And you may want to, if you weren't here, check out the balance series when I preach some sermons on balance. Because we have to live with margin. And if you don't have margin in your schedules and your finances, you know, America's in trouble right now because people have bought more than they can afford to pay for. They're living in bigger houses than they can afford to pay for. It is a tremendous crisis in this country right now. You have to have margin. You see, you don't ever live above your means. And don't live according to your means. Live below your means. Only then can you be obedient to God and get in on victories God wants you to get in on, blessings God wants you to get in on, because you can obey Him. See, God may tell you to, to give something to some person or to some organization, to give something, to, a special gift to God's church, but you can't do it because you're financially strapped. Because you're living according to your means or above your means. We're to live below our means, and that takes the pressure off. There's no greater pressure in a marriage, in a home, in a family like financial pressure. And yet Americans don't seem to get that. We stay under pressure, and it, it, it brings us down, and we lose that passion. And we are so stressed and so busy and so preoccupied that we miss out on what's really important in life. There are wonderful things happening all around us, and there are things that we miss because we're too stressed out. Right before our Christie got married, I watched The Father of the Bride. And uh, what a, uh, any father, have, I mean, you struggle with that, uh, the reality of all of that, and you have some of those same emotions and feelings. You see, I mean, Steve Martin is, he is trying to connect with his daughter. He wants to see her before she goes away, because he knows it'll never be the same. See, I still tear up how many years? Who knows? You men have daughters, you understand. But he couldn't get to her. 
because of what the crowd, the stuff. And he was tripping over everything. He, he was trying to get his best to get to her, but couldn't get to her. Good news is, if you've seen the movie, she calls from the airport, and then they get to talk. Let me give you a story in the Bible that where Jesus is in the middle of a packed house, and people everywhere. Yet the one who needed Jesus the most couldn't get near him. Let's read about it. Luke 5, verse 18. Some men came carrying a paralytic on a mat and tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus. When they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and lowered him on his mat through the tiles into the middle of the crowd, right in front of Jesus. When Jesus saw their faith, he said, Friend, your sins are forgiven. But that ye may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up. Take your mat and go home. Immediately he stood up in front of them, took what he had been lying on, and went home, praising God. Everyone was amazed and gave praise to God. They were filled with awe and said, we have seen some remarkable things today. Everybody needs friends like that. Here were four passionate friends who had focus and determination, creativity, intentionality, they were not sitting around bemoaning the fact that their friend couldn't get help, couldn't get to Jesus. They refused to give up. They were willing to do whatever it took. They were passionate about it. But verse 19, they ran into a problem. They couldn't get to Jesus because of the crowd. A crowded life keeps the best things from us most of the time. Did you get that? A crowded life keeps the best things from us most of the time. I mean, we miss so much in life just because we're so crowded. We're always in a crowd. We're always rushing here and rushing there. Something is always in our way. And so it is in the Christian life. We get overloaded and we go through the motions of the, of the Christian faith. We're not living passionately for Christ anymore. We're just existing. Uh, Lee gave me a book and uh, a little CD in the back by Leanne Womack on I Hope You Dance. And I love these little books. I love them because they got you know, a few words and they're big and I, I can read them easily. And if, you, if, if you've got a problem with my using dance, uh, get a life. And when you get the choice to sit it out or dance, I hope you dance. Let the music move you. Let the moment take your hand. Let it lead you out to the middle of the dance floor and embrace you. Dive off the high board. Ride with the top down. Thrive like a wildflower and sing. Who cares what you sound like? With a voice all your own. Just be passionate. Just grab a hold of life. Just enjoy it while you've got it. Because if you just had one month to live, if you were going to kick the bucket, you know the bucket list, there'd be some things that you would want to do. There'd be people you wanted to see, hands you want to hold, words you want to say. Live like that 
all the time is what God is saying to us. Break through the crowd. Recapture that passion. How do you do that? Number one, I've got to speed up because I've got to quickly tell you the rest of this. Do something drastic. Now, some of that, you just get nervous thinking about that. Do something drastic. Some of you are so predictable that anybody around you knows everything you're going to do and how you're going to do it, what you're going to say and how you're going to say it. You get up the same time every day. You go to bed the same time every night. You watch the same stupid programs on television. You're just boring, aren't you? So if you're going to, if it's the end of your life, you need to do something drastic. It's to take a risk. It's risky breathing. But life, the life comes, real life comes to those who are willing to get out of their box and out of their comfort zone and willing to take a risk, willing to reach out. It says, when we could not find a way to do this, we just sat down and said, it's no use. No, that's in your Bible. That's not in this Bible. They went up on the roof and lowered him on his mat through the tiles into the middle of the crowd right in front of Jesus. They got drastic. You don't coast into passionate living. You don't coast into the best things in life. You got to go for it. You can't get what you've never had until you're willing to do what you've never done. And that involves taking a risk. How do you restore passion? You stop and ask that clarifying question. If you knew that you had one month to live, what would you do? What would you say? What would be important to you? What would you value? Because if you've just got one month and the things that really matter all of a sudden become important. And you know that there are things you need to say and things you need to do that you need to ask for forgiveness or receive and receive forgiveness. These men knew that they had one chance to get to Jesus. This was their last chance to get their friend healed and they were willing to take whatever risk. I mean, it, whatever it involved in tearing up this roof and this house and getting down before Jesus, they were willing to do that. So often we focus on things that won't last five years. We think the big thing in life is an automobile. Do you, do you realize nobody on this earth can drive a new car? Because the moment you drive off that parking lot, it is a used car. You say, oh, I don't believe that. Turn around and sell it to them. <laughs> it's a used car. And that's what God says. Don't, don't, don't get tied up in thinking that things will bring you what you're looking for. That real satisfaction, real meaning. You see, you realize what's important when you start to live one month at a time. And you realize you have to remove the obstacles. Because if you're, if you're going to live like God wants you to live in this crazy world, you're going to have some obstacles. When, when you decide what's important, then you're going to have to cut out a whole lot of stuff that's not that important. You're going to have to make those decisions. See, the problem is we've got a list of 20 things that, that we have to do. And so we're trying to do these 20 things on this list, 
And yet the truth is, if you just had one day to live, that whole list wouldn't matter at all. And really nothing on the list is important. What's important, listen to me, what's important is not even on the list. I know many of you keep lists. I, I have a list with me all the time. I have a list on a lavatory at home. But you know what I'm convicted of? Is the real important things are never on a list. The things that would really matter if this were your last day to live, your last week, your last month, then all of your lists are worthless because the real things are not on there. Reading a story to your child, tucking them in bed and having prayer with them at night, listening to your mate, having coffee with your wife, going on a spontaneous trip, going to see your mom, your relatives, hanging out with friends, not on the list. Number two, expect the unexpected. Things seldom go as planned. If you, if you, do, you, do, you know, do you know that? Things seldom go as planned. Life interrupts you over and over again. There are hills and valleys, ups and downs, good times and bad times, and may I say crazy times. And that's life. The problem is we've got our list and our schedule and we're trying to control what's uncontrollable. We're trying to control something that cannot be controlled. You're trying to control your life and you cannot control your life. You're trying to control what happens in your life. You can't control that. Trying to control your world, you can't control that. In our text, these men had a plan, but their plan failed. The crowd got in the way. Things happened. They couldn't get him close to Jesus. So they had to do something. They had to exercise faith. They had to be creative. They had to be intentional. They had to be passionate. And when they did the unexpected, Jesus did the unexpected. See, they expected Jesus to heal him. Verse 20, when Jesus saw their faith, he said, be healed. No. When Jesus saw their faith, he said, your sins are forgiven. Wow. You see, Jesus knew what was most important. Jesus knew that spiritual healing is more important than physical healing. If somebody's healed from cancer, that's an amazing miracle. But there is no greater miracle than when you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and your sins are forgiven. That's the greatest miracle. And see, because they were willing to go for it, they were willing to take risks, they were willing to, to work through the obstacles. They were determined to get to Jesus and because of that, they, not, they didn't just get what they expected, they got more than they expected. And that'll be true in your life too. Jesus will give you more than you could expect, more than you could dream. And we need to learn how to receive the unexpected from the Lord. And that comes when we trust him. See, we have to trust him knowing that he knows our needs better than we know our needs. You see, he knows what's best for us. We don't. 
So there's some things you need to say to God when the, the interruptions come. The interruptions in your plans. Say, God, you know best. And I receive this surprise. I receive this sudden change. It's not what I expected. But I receive it. And I refuse to be stressed out and worried about it. I'm going to stop trying to control what I can't control. I trust you, God. And I give it to you. And then laugh at what's happened. A sense of humor will get you through so many things. Because when you think about it, when you're all stressed out and you're worried and you're in a wad, you're in a mess because of something that happened unexpectedly that you cannot control. And yet you are trying to control it. And you were worrying and fretting and all in a mess over it. And when you realize that, this is so silly, it's, it's laughable. And give it back to God. Number three, create God space. Luke 5, 19, when they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd, they went up on the roof, lowered him down on the mat, right in front of Jesus, right in the middle of the crowd. They made a space that wasn't there so their friend could get to Jesus. And in the middle of our, our schedules, our busy schedules, in the middle of all of our overcrowded lives, the smartest thing we can do is make room, make space for Jesus. Make space for God. They knew they couldn't help this man, their friend, until they could get him to Jesus. Until they could meet, this man could meet Jesus. And my friend, the busier we get, the more time we need to give space to God. One great preacher used to say, I get up, you know, I, if I've got a real busy day, sometimes I'll pray for two hours. And the person said, well, how can, if you're so busy, how can you pray two hours? He said, because that day is so busy, I can't afford not to. Because if I don't meet God, I can't meet what I have to meet that day. Do you make space for God? Mark 1, 35, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Jesus took space to meet with God the Father. The busier he became, he would have to pull away from the crowds. He would have to say no to precious people. He would have to stop healing people and, and retreat to a solitary place. To give his heavenly father space to get with God so he could have the strength to do what God had called him to do. Proverbs 10, 27, reverence for God adds hours to each day. So how can the wicked expect a long, good life? When you put God first, it adds hours to your day. When you make space for God, it gives you more time that day. So want more time in your day? Put God first. Give God some space. Meet God. 
Number four, keep a constant reminder. Verse 24, that you may know the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take up your mat, and go home. And he stood in front of them, took what he had been lying on, and went home praising God. Now, that's an interesting phrase. Take up your mat and go home. Jesus had just healed this paralyzed man. The last thing on earth he needed now was his mat. He didn't need to lie on that mat anymore. He was well. He just needed to to go for it, to run. No. Jesus said, take your mat with you. And I think Jesus was saying, you need a constant reminder that you met me and a miracle happened. And you, you, you never forget that. Take your mat. Go home and praise God. See, some of you met God and he changed your life, but you didn't keep the mat. You don't have that constant reminder. You forget God's grace and God's goodness. We all need that reminder that the best way to get out of the dumps, out of depression, is to just think of how good God has been to you and focus on that. We have a challenge, a 30-day challenge to ask this question every day. What if I just had one month to live? To get in a connection class or a class, a small group, a Bible study group at home and talk about life and having one month to live and keeping a journal of what God is saying to you through this and read a chapter a day in your book and we still have some books left you can get today because the book and the sermons and what you do in the classes, all of it is together to help us get a hold of this concept of living the dash instead of dashing to live. Of living one month, living as if we just had one month to live. What about you? Would you bow your heads across the room, every head bowed, every eye closed? On Easter Sunday, 20 people checked a card saying, I prayed to receive Christ. Praise God. But nobody did that for you. Maybe you're in this room this morning and you've never accepted Jesus Christ in your heart and life as your personal Lord and Savior. Why don't you do that today? There's no better time than right now. We hope you were blessed by our program today. If you would like a copy of today's program, go to www.fredlowry.com where you can find this program and other Christian resources by Dr. Fred Lowry. 